Welcome to the podcast of New City Church. We hope this podcast inspires you on your journey of inward and outward transformation. Please join us on Sundays. You can find more information on our website, grownewcity.church. God bless you. Everything is permitted, but everything doesn't build others up. No one should look out for their own advantage, but they should look out for each other. Eat everything that is sold in the marketplace without asking questions about it because of your conscience. The earth and all that is in it belong to the Lord. If an unbeliever invites you to eat with them and you want to go, eat whatever is served without asking questions because of your conscience. But if someone says to you, this meat was sacrificed in a temple, then don't eat it for the sake of the one who told you for the sake of their conscience. Now, when I say conscious, I don't mean yours, but the other person's. Why should my freedom be judged by someone else's conscience? If I participate with gratitude, why should I be blamed for food I thank God for? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you should do it all for God's glory. Hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's some juicy things there, some juicy things, like literally juicy things like meat, Uh, because uh, the main topic uh, of this text is a controversy that was going on over food, specifically meat sacrificed to other gods. So here's the context. Uh, In Corinth, there was people of a lot of different faiths, and some uh, faiths practice like sacrificing meat to that god as part of their faith tradition. And sometimes the meat that was sacrificed to those other gods would then be like sold in a market. And the, the Christian question was like, okay, so if this meat is sacrificed to another god, but we're following like God, like via Jesus, like is it okay if we eat that? Because we're, do you get the controversy here where it's like, is it okay if I do this? Because I'm kind of trying to do this thing. And like, is that looking bad? And, and I thought uh, Paul said uh, something really interesting. He said, um, uh, but if someone says to you, this meat was sacrificed in the temple, don't eat it for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. So like, this is interesting because Paul was saying like, hey, the earth is the Lord's. God created everything. Like, we're following God because God is, like, the creator of all the things. It's not just, like, the God of a particular people group or economic class, but, like, the creator of all things. And so if the meat was sacrificed to another, another God, like, we believe that God still, our God still made that meat. And so, like, you can eat that just like you can eat anything because you're remembering that God created all things and, and God wants you to, to have your needs met. But with that said... If someone's trying to figure out what following Jesus is about and they see you purchasing the food and then eating it, it might be confusing or against their kind of conscious. Like they might be like, wait, I thought you said you were following this God and now you're eating the meat from that God. Like what's the deal here? And if that confusion arises, then don't do it for their sake, not for do you see like what he's trying to say here? He's like, hey, you can just eat anything, like just eat the things, just eat, eat, eat the things. <laughs> but like if your eating of the things is causing kind of like a moral dilemma or some confusion about what it means to be Christian, then like just consider your audience. And I thought that this was really an interesting, um, a really interesting scriptural observation 
because um, it, it enters into the conversation of how eating for ourselves and eating for how our food is perceived are two separate considerations, which is a lead-in to our topic for today, fat phobia. Uh, today, as we're on a sermon series on bodies, we're going to be talking about uh, a little bit of fat phobia, a little bit of food, diet, culture, exercise culture in the United States. And I want to acknowledge right up top that this is kind of a difficult topic for a lot of people. A, a lot of folks uh, at New City Church wrote in their um, community listening survey that like their relationship with food is something they're still kind of figuring out. And so I just want to name that if you're ever feeling a little activated or a little... Um, like uncomfortable about this and you need to get up and move around, you're very welcome to uh, uh, head on out to the lobby. That's why that space is there. Grab some water, look outside, do what you got to do to just kind of like regulate that energy. Because the last thing that we want to do is like re-traumatize someone in their bodies while doing a sermon series on bodies. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so can we just all like snap and agree that if someone needs to move out, that's totally fine. Also, like, again, what y'all don't realize when you're not preaching is, like, people step out of the sanctuary all the time, like, for all the reasons. Uh, so if you're feeling activated, that's, like, that's just fine. And so um, I, in researching uh, for this topic, I uh, really appreciated the commentary offered by one scholar named Sabrina Strings. And in her book, um, Fearing the Black Body... She makes some really interesting observations about like the racialized history of fat phobia, the racialized history of fat phobia. Um, uh, so like, let's just do a quick overview though. It's like way too, I'm going to do something that is way too cursory, like definitely delve into uh, this book more if that's interesting to you. But strings observes that like, pre-colonization era in Europe, there was like kind of a beauty standard of, of suppleness and curviness that was like, uh, it, it is attractive for women to be full figured. She observes that as we see in art, that it's like kind of like attractive for women to like have curves in part because there's a, there's a class connotation of that like if, if you're able to have a full figure then that probably means that you're not working in the field that probably means you're not in poverty right there's a certain like um connotation to it but she observes that like beauty and i think that this is the first point like the definition of beauty is not um an objective truth that is always consistent no matter what culture or place or time you're in like, I think the first myth that we have, yeah, anyone? Uh, the first myth that we have to get over is that it's like, beauty is just one thing that always exists and is always the same for everyone, no matter what. Nah, like there are so many contexts, so many times and cultures that inform what is beautiful, attractive, or desirable. And as uh, Strings observes, like, there was a, like, f being full-bodied was, like, something that was attractive and was, like, the pinnacle of desirability. And then um, colonization happened and, and, and enslavement started happening. And something very, very specific happened where um, uh, Europeans who were colonizing, enslaving, and exploring Africa were observing, anthropologists were observing that 
African women are full-figured women, that the, their, um, uh, their, all of the, the racist literature coming out of the era describes them as um, sensual and, des and overly sexual and overly desirable and overly um, uh, 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 of the flesh. And this was right in the Enlightenment era when it was kind of like, if you can't uh, repress your desires, then you'll never be enlightened. Do you see what I'm saying? So it's like kind of like, well, if if the if the women from this area are so uh, uh, so curvy and so sumptuous and so earthly, then they are the opposite of what it means to be enlightened and critically thinking and self-controlling. And so the the body definition started to shift. The definition of what was desirable started to shift. And so by the time that we see, um, uh, uh, you know, like Shakespeare, artists like Shakespeare rolling around, we see a shift of what it means to be full-bodied. We see um, it being associated with being more somehow more animalistic or more base or more um, uh, uh, dim-witted. And so we have this quote from uh, the Comedy of Errors where Shakespeare says, uh, describing a woman, she being a very beastly creature lays claim to me. What is she? Uh, no longer from head to foot than from hip to hip. She is spherical like a globe. And so here they have two... Uh, characters describing a woman who is full-figured with the adjective beastly. Do you see how, do you see the major shift between these two? Where it was like, uh, before, like, having a, a full figure was like desirable, attractive, seen as kind of like this elevated thing. And now it's like, well, actually, uh, if, if you uh, if you're fat, then you don't have self-control. Or if you're fat, then you're not enlightened. Or if you're fat, you're somehow like morally or fundamentally inferior. And as it turns out, like that's a very helpful ideological framework to justify slavery. So like there's kind of this like, uh, this continual uh, characterization of like, well, the people who are from uh, Africa are somehow less human, and therefore it's justified for us to create an economy based off of their enslavement. But that's like uh, uh, all wrapped up in like gender, fat phobia, race, class, like all immigration status, like all of this is wrapped up. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, do you see the observation here? Like a lot of our fat phobia is derived from anti-blackness. A lot of the fat phobia in uh, the US, in the Europe, but also now like because we kind of exported it through social media everywhere is like fat phobia is derived from anti-blackness and we can't really like derive, we can't really ever find peace with our bodies or peace with the bodies of our society until we confront anti-blackness. So, like, uh, in, you know, in an interview uh, where someone was talking to Strings, the author who observed all of this, um, the interviewer was like, well, what does it mean that so many white women are so um, uh, uh, concerned about their appearance? What does it mean that white women are so concerned about food? Like, if this was specifically an anti-black woman thing, why would white women be so affected, basically? And, um, and her response was like, well... Uh, Th th that just kind of reinforces the point because if the idea or the stereotype is that like sumptuous full-bodied women are like sexual base, dim-witted or immoral and black, 
then of course women who aren't black would want to not be like that. You know, like it would be like forfeiting, it would be like forfeiting privilege, says this racist stereotype. So it's kind of like, this is kind of like how empire destroys all of us, by the way. <laughs> do you see? Oh, do you see what I'm saying? Like, it's like, okay, there was this one thing where it's like supposed to oppress one group of people. But as it turns out, when you oppress one group of people, you end up oppressing everyone. And then none of us are free. Because like saying like, well, these bodies are unacceptable, but these bodies are acceptable. Anytime the acceptable bodies start looking like the unacceptable bodies, then none of us are free. And so like, this is the issue here is like, we have to confront anti-blackness. We have to confront fat phobia, not as like, oh, we need to be nice to, you know, people who are fat or we need to be nice to people who are, who look a certain way, but saying like, no matter what you look like, everyone's body is oppressed by fat phobia. No matter how thin you are, everybody, like, I'm not super fat, but I am oppressed by fat phobia because all of us together are, I, uh, bear the con I bear the weight of that oppression differently than other bodies, but everyone collectively is oppressed by fat phobia because oppression affects everyone just differently, but it affects everyone. Like all of us are going down. So like, um, so we have to confront this as a, as a community, right? Um, and I just want to name like, there's complexity to it because a lot of our bodies and opinions of our bodies came in response to, um, for those of us who are not asexual, like in, in trying to seek a partner, you know, like trying to, trying to seek um, companionship. And I just want to name that a lot of the opinions about our bodies is shaped by the gaze of the hotties. Okay, so like, I don't know, like a lot of, a lot of our lives, a lot of like very important developmental periods were like, um, okay, what is the person that I want to attract going to think if I make these decisions? And in doing that, we forfeited so much of our power, so much of our power to people who don't care about us. <laughs> we forfeited so much of our happiness to the opinion of people who might not even know that they wield that power. We let hotties decide our happiness and that's never a good idea. I saw Barbie the movie. That's never a good idea. So like, um, you know, like in, in addition, even outside of like uh, the racialized dynamic of what we're talking about, like even within, or I shouldn't say outside of, but like even in relationships that don't involve blackness, the anti-blackness of fat phobia is still present within it. And that is defined by like how we relate to the hotties in our life. And it affects everything, by the way. Like, certainly, if you're, like, a teenager, if you're in college, like, I just want to especially say this word, like, like the hotties, like, changing yourself for the hotties is never going to end up in your favor. <laughs> like, just, like, changing yourself for the hotties will always end up with you losing more than you gain. Um, but I want to name that, like, no matter what stage of life that you're in, that th there's a certain, like, uh, impact that this commitment has on on different stages of life and so like I, I just wanted to tell a couple stories um so one time I uh so Brian and I are getting married yay um and uh and so my parents threw a shower for us a wedding shower have you all ever been to a wedding shower before okay so like as a cis man I was like what 
is this? <laughs> like, you show up to a room and people just like give you presents? <laughs> like, this is amazing. So we were like uh, at a wedding shower and there was, um, my mom invited, oh, oh, you know, the condo ladies. So the condo ladies are like the other ladies who live in our condominium building. Oh gosh, and they, you know, we've been watching you from afar. You don't know me, but I just love you so much. Like the kind of that energy. And so the condo ladies uh, were all together at this table. And like, um, Brian and I were clearly like the mo the like the youngest, most most athletic, like sveltest bodies in the room, and it was like interesting to me to observe how the the condo ladies were kind of like apologizing for their bodies in our presence. You know, have you ever been in that conversation where they're like, oh gosh, I haven't been to the gym for a long time. Oh God. And they were kind of like, like, oh, look at my arms. And then they would like wave their arms. They're like, I got flappers. Oh gosh, I shouldn't have those. And it, we're like, you're at a wedding. You're a cisgender woman at a wedding shower for a gay wedding. And you're still like apologizing for your body. Do you see it's where it's like the, like the gaze of the hotties, the opinions of the hotties is like still, uh, because obviously Brian and I are the hotties in this situation. So uh, like where it's like, but do you see what I'm trying to observe here? Like there's a power that is like a kind of unspoken, but somehow like if you see someone who is like succeeding and being this trope of young uh, athletic, preferably white, preferably cis male, uh, uh, beauty, then like everyone else should cower and apologize for not being like that. Like that's, and it's like, Brian and I didn't come into that situation asking for that. It just kind of was like in the air. And we have to observe that, right? Like we have to notice that. Um, okay. Told the other example, like incels, do y'all know what incels? So like the, the, yeah. So it's like the, the, the guys on the internet, like 4chan who are like, um, the I I've been the, the kind of the basic story is like it's a straight guy who was rejected by a woman that they wanted to be with and therefore like became super anti-woman and it's like well women are the problem women are bad because I just like you know I was like I was super nice and asked if she wanted to go on a date and she said no like what you know like like that kind of energy and do you see how like all of that is still beholden to the gaze of the hotties where it's like, okay, so somehow incels have lost track of their internal belovedness if they, if their happiness can be so affected by that. And they're obviously leveraging privilege for the sake of oppressing other people with it. You know, like it's easier to oppress people than to go to therapy apparently. So like the, <laughs> the, uh, the <laughs> do you see what I'm trying to say though? Like these are actually related phenomena where it's like, if you lose track of the belovedness, the sacredness, the amazing miracle of your body and let other pe how other hotter people view your body set your happiness, then you will always lose more than you gain. And, or uh, create like toxic internet subcultures that will end us all. So like, like all of this is the same type of almost like idolatry happening, right? They, where there's this kind of like incorrect, disproportionate amount of power being assigned to something that was never meant to hold that power. 
Um, and then, like, I just want to quick call in the gay community uh, that, like, there is a ton of body shaming in the gay community. And I want to call it the gay community specifically because I'm a member of it. But each of you, as a member, whatever letter you represent in the acronym, feel free to just drag your community in circle later. But I'm just going to quick call in the gay community because there's a ton of body shame in the community. There's a ton of fat phobia in the gay community, the gay cis male community specifically. And some of that is because like at a very young age, we learned from a homophobic society that our bodies aren't acceptable. And so then we like strove to try to make our bodies acceptable by being super healthy. But in being super healthy, we created an underclass of bodies that are no longer acceptable or worthy of desire or appreciation. And in doing that, recreated a system where gay people are oppressed. Because like, what about fat gay people? Like, do they not deserve liberation? Do they not deserve like as much desire and respect and love and appreciation? Like, what about gay people who like, b whose bodies don't look like the ideal, you know? And so like, there's a ton of, uh, there's a ton of ways that intersectionality plays into this. But what I'm trying to point out to you is that we are, whatever is being glorified in fat phobia, it's not God. Like, there's, there's something being glorified. Perhaps you might just uh, call it the gaze of the hotties. The gaze of the hotties. The gaze of the hotties? Uh, but, like, the point is, like, something is being glorified that isn't, that doesn't have our best interest in mind. Something is being glorified that isn't our creator. Something is being glorified that won't lead us to liberation. And if that's the case, then we really have to pay attention. And so I have a friend um, from my undergrad, actually, um, Anastasia Kidd, who uh, wrote a book called Fat Church. And uh, she's, uh, you know, self-identifying as a member of the fat community. And she's like, hey, like, there is a racist, misogynist, classist, history of oppression against fat people and the gospel is against it like jesus wasn't hot let's just say that like jesus wasn't like i'm gonna save you from your unattractiveness jesus never promised us abs you know jesus promised us absolution and that's like the difference so like the 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 goal is to become more like jesus and if Jesus wasn't, like, that hot, then we kind of have to ask ourselves, like, what are we going to do uh, as we're dealing with our soul and our body, as we're figuring out how to behave in society that is so deeply fatphobic? Like, what are we going to do? How are we going to live in our bodies? And I love the, the line at the end of uh, Paul's reading, oops, where he says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you should do it all for God's glory. So the implication being like not the glory of anyone else, including hotties. <laughs> like my goal for you is that whatever relationship you have with food, that it might be like responsive to a God who loves you so much and whose love is like tattooed onto your body in a way that cannot be erased no matter what you have for dinner. Like, my goal for you is that you might not be glorifying the hotties by making so many decisions incumbent on their opinion of you, but rather be making decisions about God's love for you. Be making decisions about, like, what it feels like to be whole, because that's what God intends for all of God's children. Wholeness, uh, abundant life.
And you know, the funny thing is, like, once we start approaching it from like a love first, wholeness first, God's love centering kind of approach, it changes how we relate to all these things. Because as it turns out, if you don't like, if, if you're not eating only for the approval of other people and just eat because you're trying to be whole, like you do kind of tend to appreciate vegetables. <laughs> like I just want to name like vegetables are good for your mental health. Vegetables are uh, good for my mental health. And so like, I'm like, wow, what if like the way that I eat isn't just about other people's opinions of my bodies, but what if I eat because like there are ways that I know that I can take care of myself that are helpful for my mental health, regardless of what that aesthetically looks like. And as it turns out, like exercise is amazing when you're not doing it for the sake of other people's approval. <laughs> like, like movement is an intrinsic part of, of, of what it means to I shouldn't say an intrinsic part because I know that there's some people who can't move, but like movement is such a delightful part of what it means to be human. Movement, dance, even like lifting heavy things, especially lifting heavy things, is central to trauma recovery, is central to like us uh, being a community together. Like the reason why we sing together is because it is one of the things that we do with our bodies in a room at the same time to develop community. Like movement is delightful, exercise, resistance training, all of these things are delightful, and we can't really discover that until we resist and repent from fat phobia. We can't really discover the, the amazing gifts of like living in our body until we repent and uh, reorient ourselves towards a God of love. You know what I mean? Like, there's a whole world of this abundance and sufficiency and satisfaction and connection waiting for you. But we have to sacrifice all of the oppression in order to receive all of the liberation. And, and that's why this takes everything and why we are doing it together as a community. Amen? Amen. <laughs>